a week ago, I was in a lead pastors meeting. I didn't give it that title. Our regional leaders did. They hold these meetings uh, once a quarter, gives us uh, as pastors the opportunity to get together and connect in a usual, in a in a informal way. Uh, this particular meeting was one of the smaller crowds. There were only eight of us there. There were six pastors and two of the regional leaders that were there together. And sometimes that really works a little nicer sometimes for stimulating conversation. Um, They usually ask a question to get the conversation kind of rolling a little bit. And I don't remember exactly how the question was asked, but it was along the lines of what has God been showing you um, what has God been doing, uh, you know, in your life? How has he been showing him to yourself recently? Uh, for me, it's been a recurring theme in my life uh, over and over again. Uh, and I am always touched by God's grace towards me. Uh, his grace, you know, that continues. He loves me in spite of myself. You know, he loves me in spite of, of the person that I know I am. Uh, He doesn't chase me away. He does not walk away from me when I do something foolish or when I, even when I do something sinful. Now, not that we intentionally do those things. Not that we do those things thinking that, well, it's going to be okay. But the fact that he doesn't leave us. And he he doesn't leave me when those happen. He continues to reach out to me with a love that I don't deserve. And that just always um, impresses me. Well, one of the pastors, as we were there, one of the pastors uh, asked me what changes I noticed in myself after going through the experience of uh, having those those tumors, and um, you know what I noticed. What came to mind for me um, right away was that I am more empathetic. Now, some of you are thinking, "Man, I hate to see it before," um, but really, the, the, the reality is, I, I'm more empathetic. I feel a deeper compassion for those people who are facing struggles, uh, particularly those who uh, who are are battling anxiety and depression. And when they are going through experiences in their life, in which those come barging in full steam ahead into your life and and just begin to uh, wreak havoc. Um, seven years ago, I was in the midst of that experience. It began in August of that year with some hearing issues for me. And, um, you know, for several months, things really seemed to get progressively worse, not necessarily my hearing, uh, but the news from the doctors. In fact, we kept adding doctors. I started with my family doctor, and he sent me to an audiologist, and the audiologist uh, checked and said, you need to go see an ear doctor. The ear doctor checked and uh, he found the first tumor and uh, recommended and hooked me up with a radiation oncologist and a neurosurgeon. And during the process of working with those two, then they found the second tumor. And, um, you know, it was just seemed to be uh, spiraling, certainly in a way we didn't want. And, you know, you guys were, many of you, you know, most of the church uh, was walking through that with me. Uh, some of the doctors asked how I was dealing with everything and suggested that I might want to um, connect with a counselor. So I added a psychologist uh, to my list of doctors. Uh, he was a Christian man, and at my first meeting with him, he gave me a long list of verses to go through. And it was a huge help to me. 
it was a huge blessing. It really was. It was a focused, um, you know, the verses focused in on on God's goodness and God's love and God's grace. Um, now, the same day we were having that pastor's meeting, and, you know, he asked me what changes I noticed uh, going through. I read an article that was uh, articulating things to thank God for in the midst of affliction. And this sermon is prompted by that conversation and remembering um, what, how that scripture had helped me as I was reading through that article, how that, those scriptures just helped me through those months of uncertainty, tests and scans and doctor's appointments, more scans, treatments, even more scans, more doctor's appointments, and just the way those ministered to me. So that's what we're going to look at uh, today. Let's pray and we can get into God's word more. Father, thank you for your grace that just abounds. And we don't deserve. Yet you continue to give, not because of us, but because you are God. And for that, I am so grateful. Help us as your people now, as we look into your word, to be ministered to by the truth and the reality of your word, coming in in ways maybe that we didn't expect, uh, bringing us into areas that maybe we had forgotten about, and taking us once more into the reality of what a great, awesome, and powerful God you are. So teach us as we read and think. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You see, the outline's a bit longer. It's a separate insert in your bulletin today, and I printed the verses in your outline because it would have just been cumbersome for you to try to um, look at the verses and, and think what we're going through here. I'm really not going to say a lot about, about the verses. I'm just going to point out a few things and some of them as we go along. Scripture is much more important than what I say. I always want you to remember that. That's why I always want you to turn to the passages when we are looking at them on Sunday because God's Word is much more important uh, than what I have to say. So 12 points in uh, 30, 35 minutes or so. Let's get rolling here. Uh, these will really help you to see the, the reality uh, of who God is, even in the midst of your affliction. Now, remember these. And live in light of these realities of who God is and his grace to us. Grace not because of us, but grace because of him. Grace because he is God. Yes, we need his grace, but we get that grace because he is God, not because we are needy. It's because of, of who he is. So number one there. Uh, God is sovereign, and now we are back to that. God is sovereign and in complete control of the intensity of and duration of your affliction. <coughs> well, I thought I'd get further than that. <coughs> you see Isaiah there, Isaiah 46. Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning. And from long ago, what is not yet done, 
saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. Now, notice what he says, that he is God. There is no other. He is God. The others, can, others can claim to be God. Others can have uh, put up a false front. But he is the only God, and there is no one like him. He declares the end from the beginning. We get lost in the, in the present. We get, we get smoked by the present. And we forget that that is just a snapshot in time. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. And he sees what is not yet done. We don't. He knows what is coming, what is not yet done. And it is his plan and his plan that will take place. He says, I will do all my will and his will is good and his will is good for us. Uh, the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. Well, you can mark this up all you want to, but and I would. God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Notice, it doesn't say He will not allow you to be tempted. It doesn't stop there. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And, and some people come up with a false thought that God will never get you, give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. I mean, yes, he will. For pity's sakes, if you could handle it, you wouldn't need God, would you? The rest of this deals with the reality that he will give you more than you could handle. He says, I won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you're able to bear it. Two things there. Sometimes he provides that way of escape. When he does, take it. Take it. Don't be in the midst of it. We're told to flee from youthful lust. And if that's that temptation and it comes there, flee, run, put distance between yourself and it. And you know, he says, but he will also provide that way of escape so that you might be able to bear under it. What he gives us sometimes is that strength to bear up under it. What we want is it gone. He get, what we need is his strength. Number two. God's love and mercies never cease. His love and mercies never cease. Lamentations 3, because of the Lord's faithful love. It's, it's His faithful love. And here's the reason that, that we have it. Because of His faithful love, we do not perish. For His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You wake up in the morning, guess what? His mercy. You did not wear out His mercies the day before. Each morning they're as good as they, as they ever were. And that, that phrase there, because of the Lord's faithful love, that word faithful love, it's, it's, it's a, a Hebrew word. It meant a lot more to them uh, when they would see that. It's translated many different ways in, in the English. Very often faithful love, you'll see it a lot through the Psalms, but it comes throughout the, the uh, Old Testament. It it's, means his care in, in keeping with his covenantal promises. They never cease based on who he is. Because of who he is, those, that faithful love doesn't, doesn't cease. It doesn't end at all. It's, it's, it means you know, that Yahweh's loyalty to his people because of his promise. 
based on that uh, on that promise of uh, that covenantal promise that you see in the Old Testament, and then as you move into the New Testament, because those with a relationship with Christ is what he's talking about here. You know that 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 care, that faithful love, will always be there. They never cease. Number three, Jesus will never. Jesus will never leave nor forsake you. He will never leave nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, our life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never. (coughs) I will never leave you nor forsake you. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, again, I had to do this yesterday too. My apologies for speaking with something in my mouth. He will never, never desert you. He will never abandon you. I like the way this is translated in the Amplified Bible. It says, I will never, under any circumstances, desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. Nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you. I like that phrase. Nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. He will never leave us on our own. Number four. God is with you in your affliction. Isaiah 43. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. You ever feel overwhelmed? They will not overwhelm you. He won't allow you to be destroyed. He was with you. You are never alone in your afflictions. You are never Abandoned. We feel abandoned sometimes. Don't buy the lie. Realize you're never alone. Number five. God hears your every prayer. Psalm 34:15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. His eyes are on you. His ears are open. He, he is not up there silent. He is listening. He is hearing. He is seeing what's going on. Uh, Two verses later, verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. Notice he's talking about the righteous. Those in a relationship with Christ. He's not talking about those who have behaved well enough. He's talking about those in a relationship with Christ and have the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ given to them. And in that relationship... It's catching. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and his eyes are open. And to the righteous they cry out, says, and the Lord hears. He hears and delivers them. Notice what it says. From all your troubles. He is not a halfway God. He is not just part time on duty. There are no off hours for him. He never is too busy or has too much to do. He never puts you in line and says, I'll get to you when I can. 
He delivers us from all our troubles. Number six, God is using the affliction to make you more like Christ. One of what, if, you know, certainly this would be a life verse for me where I have seen God unfold this over and over from since when I was a child. I didn't realize it then. I realize it as I look back on my childhood. For we know that all things, all things, work together for the good of those who love God. (coughs) Those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. He works for the ultimate good. We look for the momentary, the momentary reprieve. He works for the ultimate good. Some things we only learn by going through them. I would love to be able to play the piano, particularly like Dr. Mays. Do you suppose he's played before? Do you suppose he ever practices? We only learn some things by going through them. We only learn some things in life by going through them. He says all things work together. The affliction, the affliction is as much of his love and plan for your life as the calm times. Sometimes we think the affliction only comes because things are out of control. No. Sometimes that affliction, sometimes it's there because we're stupid. But sometimes it's there because it is His plan for your life so that you can learn what you need to learn. And the affliction is as much a part of His plan as those calm times that we so much desire. Number seven. The affliction is light and momentary compared to the eternal reward it's producing. Now, this doesn't mean it's fun this does not mean it's inconsequential. Because you say, I've been battling this a long time. Yes, yes, sometimes we do. But notice, it's compared to the income. It's, it's brought up there, you know, to the, it compared to the eternal reward that it's producing. Second Corinthians chapter 4. For our momentary light affliction is producing a process It is producing for us an absolutely incomparable. That means it surpasses all comparison. Anything we we try to compare it to falls short of the total picture. It's absolutely incomparable, eternal. It's an endless, eternal weight of glory. It's light and momentary compared to what's in store for us. Number eight. Jesus is your sympathetic high priest who intercedes for you constantly. Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. He knows what we're facing and he has been through these battles and those temptations. You say, well, he hasn't done this. Every area that we have been tempted in, 
he is aware of in an intimate way and can help us through it. Hebrews chapter 7. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. To save completely. He, he's able to do that. You know, he's able to save us completely. Notice you know, that he's always able to do that. He always lives to intercede for us forever. There's not a time in which he doesn't. There's not a time in which he can't. There's not a time in which he won't. He always will. Number nine. God is near you in your pain. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. He, he, you know, he doesn't put more weight on you. He doesn't continue to crumple you down, even though sometimes we feel like that. But what, what it is, is we are sometimes forgetting how near he is, how real he is, how much he is is identifying with what we're going through and how much he wants us to get through it and how much he wants to love us through it. Number 10. Jesus is your refuge, strength, and strong tower that you can run to. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. He's always there in times of trouble, but sometimes we get so focused on the trouble that we don't even see him there. I told you before that I'm pretty easy to sneak up on now that, you know, my hearing is jazzed up. And, um, you know, Kent startled me quite a few times in the office just by coming in and standing there. And I turn and I see him and I jump and um, last few weeks, he's been engrossed in different things in his office. And I'll walk down and I'll say, Kent. And he, he literally separates from his chair and he, you know, and I just, this, that's what happens to us when we have problems sometimes. We're so concentrating on those, we forget that God is standing right there with us. He is not leaving us on our own. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our strong tower. Our refuge. They had cities of refuge in the Old Testament where when somebody was accused of something, uh, falsely accused or even legitimately accused, but they could run to that for refuge. Now those who were legitimately accused, they had ways you know, to deal with that. And, and, but it was a place of safety. A place where they could go and know they would not be touched, that they would not be molested, that they would not be beaten, that they would not be uh, cast away. A refuge is, and, and, and it says, uh, refuge and strength always found. It's, it's a picture of, of mighty and impenetrable. It's the reality, you know, that he is a very ready help. Also there, Proverbs chapter 18, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. Set on high is the picture there. Far above evil. 
that strong tower that you could run to, that, that place of protection. When we um, first had moved to Fort Wayne, we went and visited the fort. And it was a day that they were doing some of the, um, as I say, recreation, you know, the, the period thing where they were they were uh, had actors there. It was interesting because uh, Dick McNett was there. I didn't know it was, I didn't know Dick McNett then, but he used to play. Uh, I forget. Connie will tell you later. I can't remember. Um, uh, Whistler. Somebody. Somebody Whistler. Anyway. Um, and you know you ask them questions and um, they stayed right in in period and in in the thing, and it really kind of helped me think of the time in which there would be people living outside the fort and when they needed you know protection that when they were you know coming under attack or something they had this that they could run to to be protected and be in there where they knew that they were safe in a way that they weren't on the outside this is the kind of picture it has here that he is that strong tower and the righteous run to it and you know what? When we run to it, the doors are always open for us. The door's always open for us to come in. The door's not locked. He hasn't locked us out. He welcomes us in. And we are protected, set on high, far above the evil. Number 11. God has saved you, washed away your sin, and adopted you as his own child. You see the verse there, Romans 4. How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sin is covered. When he talks about it being forgiven, if I forgive you something, that means I am not going to make you pay. Now, we understand this financially. If you owe me, you know, $10 or $10,000, and I say I'm going to forgive that debt, that means you don't owe me that money anymore. And that means you'll never hear from me about it again. If somebody does something against you and you forgive them, that means you're not going to make them pay. You're not going to give them the silent treatment. You're not going to show them how much it hurt you. You're not going to eke out any kind of payment for that. You have forgiven them. You are willing to... When I say you're willing to set that aside, that doesn't mean we forget. It's still a battle. It's still a struggle. I think that's part of what Jesus meant when Peter came and said, How many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? Because Peter was being generous. Seven times. Jesus says, No, no, you missed it. He says 70 times 7. And again, he's not talking about 490 times. And that you take out the little hash pad and you mark it down. And when we hit, you know, when we hit uh, 491, I am, I am letting him have it. You know, that's not, that's not the picture. The picture there is you forgive as many times as it takes. Now, here's our struggle sometimes. It's not always that he's done something against us again and again and again. It's as many times as it takes for you to actually get to the place of forgiving them. Where when it comes screaming back into your head, 
when something tips that off, whatever it is. And isn't it amazing sometimes we can be somewhere where it, it doesn't have anything to do with what it was that offended us and that person might not even be around. It could be a song on, that comes on the radio. It could just be a gesture that somebody does. It could just be you know, any little thing that brings that back to our mind. And it comes screaming to the front of our mind. And we might be calm on the, in, on the outside, but on the inside we are raging. What we need to do then is forgive them again. Not because they did anything, but because once again it is, because, it is, it is vomiting back up through our, through our spirit and taking us to a place we don't want to be. Not that we have to say anything to them again, but we have to take it to the Lord again in prayer and say, you know, Lord, I have forgiven this. I want to leave this behind. It doesn't mean you didn't forgive the last time. What it means is you're human. What it means is we are still in an imperfect world until we step into his presence once again. And one I didn't get in your outline. So jot it down, Galatians chapter 4, it's verse 4 and 5 here. It says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So he came to redeem. He came to buy back. He came to pay the price that we needed to be free. It's like a redemption ticket at a pawn shop. And you go and you, you give them that. You, you give them that ticket. You pay the money and you retrieve the item. There's the picture when he's talking about redeeming. The, the penalty, the price that needed to be paid for your freedom has been paid. He has come you know, to redeem those who are under the law. Those who, who are trying to please God on their own. And he, Christ has fulfilled the law. Not so that we can act however we want but so that we can be free not to act those ways. So that we can be free to live for him. And this whole picture here, that we might be adopted as sons. Now, some of the translations say here, adopted as his children. You lose the impact of this verse when you do that. He is not here saying that it's only, only the male of the species who are adopted into his. What he is saying is all of God's people, all of those who come to him through Christ are adopted as sons because in their society, sons had the privileged position. Don't get mad about that. Rejoice in the fact that what he's telling us here is we are adopted and welcomed into his family with that privileged position, not a lesser position. With a privileged position. The verse I still can't, I, I mean, I know it and I, I can wrap my you know, mind around the fact that I know it, but I just can't wrap my round, mind around the reality of it, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Because I always think, no, he's in line ahead of me. He's in line in front of me. He's so much more than me. And he is all those things. But God says we're co-heirs with Christ. Why? Because we are adopted as sons. We are adopted with the full, the full privilege of God. That's what those verses tell us. 
You know, he has saved you, washed away your sin, and adopted you as his own child. Number 12. And you thought we wouldn't make it. Someday Jesus will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And you will see his glorious face. Revelation chapter 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Man. That will be something, won't it? Death will no longer exist. Grief. Crying pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have passed away. They've passed away because he has made everything new. Affliction does not mean that God has rejected us. I remember walking into the counselor's office one time, and he said to me, This isn't because of anything you've done. He said, This isn't because of anything you've done. And he brought me to tears with that phrase. I knew it. I knew that in my head. I knew it wasn't punishment from God. I never thought it was. But just to hear somebody say that to me, what a huge difference it made. Affliction is not a punishment from God. It is not, He is not trying to make you miserable. Affliction does not mean that God has rejected us. It does not mean that we are alone. It may very well be the God, the place that God has us for perfecting and growing our faith in ways that we never would have been able to get to otherwise. Well, perhaps you'll need these verses in your life someday. Or maybe God will bring somebody by or maybe he has brought someone to mind that you know needs to hear these things. I have hung on to lists of verses like this. And it is just a great thing to go over them every now and again. To remember God's love and grace poured out towards us. I hope they're helpful to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word which tells us about what a great God you are. For your word which reminds us of your faithful love. For your word which reminds us of the truth of who you are and not the lies that the devil would like us to believe. Not the lies that the enemy of our soul wants to discourage us with. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Some of them are facing struggles far deeper than I have ever been through. They are facing challenges that have no end here on this earth. But thank you that they are not doing it alone. You are here with us. You are here with them. Remind us all of your love, particularly in those times 
in which we feel unloved, in which we feel unlovable, in which we are so consumed with the situation at hand that we have lost sight of you. Renew our vision, strengthen our faith. Father, fill in those empty spots in our life once again with the love of Christ. You who, you who did not withhold your only Son, but gave him up for us all, won't withhold from us any good thing. And for that we are grateful. Thank you, Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.